Technology can do a lot of things in the classroom, but can it help educators be more empathetic to their students? This week on the EdSurge podcast, we talked to Dr. Jason Oconifwa, a postdoc at Stanford University, about just that. Jason is interested in how the effects of one person's stereotyping and another person's threat reverberate and escalate over time. He currently researches this interest in the context of education and criminal justice, and recently completed a white paper hypothesizing that an empathetic mindset will eliminate school suspensions. According to his research findings, training teachers to have more empathy towards their students lowers suspension numbers by about 50%, an incredibly high number when you consider that his trainings only include one 45-minute online session in the fall and a 25-minute online session in the winter. So why are they so successful? And is empathy something that can be taught through technology, or does it rely on that in-person element? All that and more is coming at you right now. I'm Mary Jo Mata. And I'm Blake Montgomery. Welcome to the EdSurge Podcast. Let's get started. At the Democratic National Convention, former presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders announced that he and Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton proposed to make public university education free for families making less than $125,000. That's roughly 83% of all families in the United States. That's a big promise that comes with bigger questions over where the funds would come from. The best way to safeguard student data is to not keep any data at all, says Code.org. The nonprofit says it has removed 10 million student email addresses from its servers. In a newly drafted privacy policy, Code.org has also pledged not to store student email addresses on its servers any longer. It's already enforcing the new policy on its new game, Code Studio, and other services will soon follow. Code.org's terms of service and privacy policy are open for public comment until August 22nd. There are quite a few professional development resources on the web, but if you're looking to expand your media literacy skills, here's a new option, KQED's Teach site. The free platform, launched just a few weeks ago, offers courses covering social media strategy, storytelling with video, and blogging. Who knows, you might just be able to bring those new skills into the classroom in time for this fall's election. Now you can finally play Words with Friends with your English teacher without getting your phone taken away. Zynga has released Words with Friends EDU, an educational version of the app for the web, iPad, and Android tablet, aimed at 4th to 8th graders. The reboot of the once popular game comes with a new set of educational features like power words, closed classroom environments, and definition hints. The Department of Education has moved to strengthen oversight of distance education programs offered by colleges. Last Friday, it proposed restrictions on federal financial aid. Online education providers would be obligated to receive authorization from every state where they have students before any aid could be distributed. The proposed consumer protection regulations are open for public comment until August 24th. General Assembly, the New York-based boot camp that teaches coding, design, and technology, has laid off 50 people, or roughly 7% of its staff of 765, as first reported by the Wall Street Journal. The cuts come as General Assembly aspires to offer its education services at the enterprise level. 
CEO Jake Schwartz tells EdSurge he believes these new customers may soon account for half of the company's overall revenue. Two weeks ago, Amazon released branded coffee and baby food. And this week, they're going in a bit of a different direction, announcing that the company is getting into the student loan business. In a partnership with Wells Fargo, the e-commerce giant is offering cheap interest rates to Amazon Prime student members, as if Mozart in the Jungle wasn't enough reason to sign up for Prime. Pokemon Go's ghastly privacy policy is haunting school officials who are worried that students are accessing the game with their school Gmail addresses, which could put sensitive information at risk. The game's developer has already stoked concerns by making invasive requests for access to personal information. We spoke to California school privacy lawyer Gretchen Shipley to find out how schools can assuage privacy fears. Shipley said that Pokemon Go has largely alleviated concerns with their recently updated policy, but cybersecurity experts say that the game is still vulnerable to hacking and hackers themselves have issued threats against Niantic and its users. And now it's time for Kachings. U.S. EdTech raised $122 million in June 2016, according to analysis by EdSurge. The funding was spread across 17 different deals. At least 36 unique investors participated. Udemy led the way in June with its $60 million in Series E funding. And Andela also won big with $24 million from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Wonder Workshop is dashing towards new markets, especially China. The maker of Dot and Dash has raised a $20 million Series B round, led by WI Harper Group and Idea Bulb Ventures, with participation from Learn Capital, Charles River Ventures, Madrona Venture Group, and TCL. The company's flagship products are two round blue robots aimed at introducing students aged 6 to 12 to computational thinking. The names of those robots are Dash and Dot. The funding will go towards entering markets beyond American borders, especially Europe and China. So let's get to our interview. As we mentioned before, Jason Oconifwa is a social psychologist whose research interests include bias, behavioral science, and the role of empathy in education, which is the theme of today's conversation. Teachers have a lot on their plate to begin with, but as Jason argues, empathy training should be one of the biggest components of their work. Last week, Jason and I hopped on the phone to chat about his intervention that has shown unprecedented effects on reducing suspension rates. But throughout the call, we actually ended up going a little deeper into technology's role in all of this. My biggest question was whether technologies actually support or push the biases that teachers can have, particularly when educating students of certain ethnic or socioeconomic background. Jason also delves into the school settings that seem to have embraced the empathetic mindset more than others. Not everyone does it well, but he's seen some schools where the empathy trainings have really taken hold. All right, enough introduction. Let's meet Jason. Okay, so I am here with Jason Oconifwa, and he is someone who can speak a lot to the role that bias plays in the classroom. So Jason, welcome to the EdSurge podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and some of the research that you've done? Certainly, and thanks for having me. I am... I was just recently hired to be a assistant professor at the University of California, Berkeley. And so right now I'm transitioning from being a postdoc 
and a grad student um, at Stanford University. Um, and the work that I've been doing over the years now at Berkeley and then at Stanford really looks at how uh, relationships, meaningful relationships can go awry and uh, ultimately both actors and those relationships can end up not reaching uh, the goals that they wanted to reach. And so I currently place that in the field of education or in schools and look at the teacher-student relationship and how stereotypes can shape the outcomes of those relationships such that uh, teachers can uh, come to uh, feel like they're hindered from uh, teaching in the way that they want to teach. And so they become uh, disenfranchised with the field. And then students, uh, it can lead them to end up being uh, disciplined in a disproportionate way, uh, which we are seeing on a national basis. And so I really look at how that happens, the processes that are involved in the deterioration of teacher-student relationships, and then also uh, looking at how the relationships can be maintained or, or protected from that process such that they become stronger as opposed to weaker. And you've done, you've done a lot of research into sort of the questions of teacher empathy and how that affects student suspensions. Uh, you know, in your research, what are some of the probably most surprising results that you found, at least in your opinion? Yes, the, so the overall effect was pretty surprising, which you're probably not gonna hear from a scientist very often. We did hypothesize that an empathic mindset would lead to a reduction in suspensions. However, we did not imagine that it would be such a large effect. And so we cut suspension rates by 50% across three school districts, which is a very, very large effect, especially considering that the actual intervention or materials were a 45 minute online session in the fall and a 25 minute online session in the winter. Um, and just based on participating in those activities, and there was a lot in those materials, um, but just from doing that, that we saw such a large effect, that was pretty interesting for us. Uh, also uh, something that's, um, I don't know if we pull out enough in the actual publication, is that we only worked with math teachers at all of these schools. We did that for logistical reasons because every student only has one math teacher and every student has to have a math teacher. That way we would be able to determine the difference between the control condition and the treatment condition. However, what that means when we look at the results is something very powerful uh, and interesting on a psychological level because students get suspended not just not just from one class, but from all their classes. Students can end up getting in trouble in the hallway. Students can end up getting in trouble outside on the playground, on the bus, home from school, any number of different ways. And so the fact that we it was, that we only intervened with one of their teachers, it becomes very interesting because that means that they became less likely to get into trouble across the entire school day. Um, and so by having one, just one added teacher who shows more empathy, the uh, student's whole social world was then changed uh, such that they took that with them. It wasn't just from math class, but rather they took that with them to English class and history class. They took it with them into the lunchroom and uh, on the playground outside, um, which is very interesting on a psychological uh, level. Um, and those are two things that I really, that really resonate with me and things that I really want to look into going forward with research. And the full study can be accessed on the, um, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science website, is that correct? 
That is correct. And I am actually in the process of uploading it to my website right now. Um, and so it'll also be available on my website. So that's what's interesting about that is having taught myself, I, I think to myself, out of all of the professional development that I was given as an educator, I don't think that a lesson in empathy ever came into that. You know, we were taught about common core. We were taught about assessment. We will ta- We were taught about, um, you know, classroom management techniques. Don't get me wrong. But the empathy piece never came into that. Why do you think it is that professional development seems to lack this focus on showing teachers how to develop these relationships with students? So a few things come to mind. One is that it seems like a lot of teacher development, as well as a lot of efforts that are taken in education settings are policy interventions. And so that has to do with saying specifically the teachers can do this, but not that, or giving uh, exact curricula uh, that speaks to teachers do things, need to do things a specific way um, and with this particular procedure. Um, And so that really doesn't leave room for a psychological component. Uh, And so the work that we did, uh, it's about empathy, but ultimately it is solely a psychological intervention. Nowhere in the materials do we tell teachers exactly what to do, exactly uh, how to interact with students. We don't tell them that they shouldn't discipline students when they misbehave. Rather, we focus specifically on teachers' mindsets. Um, And I think that that's something that isn't very common in uh, uh, teacher development programs because one, it's uh, something that's taken for granted. Um, it's something that we all assume that we are good at and we are we have a clear understanding of it and how it plays out in our relationships. Um, while at the uh, same time, it's not, it's usually the case that we don't know um, and that we are uh, uh, not necessarily doing the things that we we hope to have done as uh, uh, teachers. And then the empathy component um, in teacher development and beyond, and so like workplace development and um, coaching, things like that, empathy is something that is very commonly misunderstood. Um, For example, many times people mistake uh, sympathy for empathy. Um, And then even when one is thinking about empathy, there's not always a lot of uh, uh, agreement on what exactly that means or what how that looks, um, and that there's like a cognitive component and there's an emotional component. Um, it's not always clear that like empathy means perspective taking. It's not thinking about somebody else's situation. It's like actually getting into their situation um, and thinking from that mindset. And then also that comes with an emotional component, such that then if a person is feeling sad or bad that you actually engage with that feeling as well. Um, And so all that to say, um, I don't think that it's in a lot of programs because it's something that that, 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 that's just not often thought of as something that needs to be uh, talked about specifically. Um, And then also it's something that I think a lot of people think that they already have a firm grasp of. However, that may not actually be the case. And I'm wondering for myself, like, how would a teacher identify whether or not they are practicing empathetic interventions in the right way? I mean, is there are there self-assessments that one can do or external assessments? Uh, That is a great question. I think it really speaks to another 
reason why there's a lot of confusion around empathy. To my knowledge, there is not a really good self-assessment measure to determine how well one is with being empathic. Um, I'm hoping to put something together, but I won't have that until at least a year from now. Um, but as is, the, I would say the best uh, direction to take or the best way of obtaining that knowledge is uh, to just think it through, like uh, the way that I just responded to this student, this misbehaving student, um, is that the way that I would want a teacher to have responded to me when I was younger? And then also, is that the same way that I respond to other students' misbehavior? Um, and is was there a better way? Do I, I guess the most direct question is, do I understand what this child is going through? Hmm. So in all of this conversation, as we're going back and forth, you know, I hear, I hear you saying there may be some spaces for growth, right? There may be some spaces for um, assessments to be developed. And I'm wondering, do you think that technology plays a role at all in helping teachers overcome implicit bias or develop better relationships with their students? Can tech do that? Or is it really more about in-person trainings and in-person development? Uh, so that's an interesting question. Uh, my first response is no, because um, like a, a something that, that, that leads to less direct communication between a teacher and a child uh, would likely make it more difficult to empathize with a child and for that child to feel uh, trust and respect in a relationship um, because there's just that disconnect. Um, but then on the other hand, um, teachers can benefit if we have, so it's a different type of tech. I don't think it's what we would typically consider ed tech, but when we collect a lot of data, um, and whatever that data may be, the different, the current direction of the field is looking at what is called added value. And to get that score, that added value score, you need a large amount of data that comes from a lot of different directions. Um, and so tech in that way can be beneficial because then we can go back and assess like, so what are the differences where can improvements be made? And then the uh, last part is that again, not the typical type of uh, ed tech, but the actual intervention that uh, we conducted was completely done online. Um, and that's just as a as a workshop, not as a tool for you know being used in the classroom. And so, all that to say, in some ways, uh, technology uh, can be used to um, help teachers be more empathic in their relationships, but only in the way of like information. And so, workshop or like using data to speak to like different things going on, but. Edu I mean, technology that's like used in the classroom, for example, like smart screens or different new advances that I'm not even familiar with because I don't uh, frequent classrooms anymore. Um, the Those can actually get in the way of empathizing with children. It, it, it makes the relationship more disconnected uh, instead of more connected in a lot of situations. I could see that. I see that in a lot of schools that have gone what they call one-to-one, -one, where you know a student has a device and they work on that device a lot. And it worries me when I walk into classrooms sometimes and I just see all these students staring at, down at their devices with the teacher at the front. 
or even worse, where, you know, the teachers feels like they're stuck at the front of the classroom because there's just one piece of technology up there, like a smart board or an Elmo or something. And so I worry sometimes, do you think that in any capacities, technology actually hinders some of these relationships from de being developed? Too much or excessive technology use in the classroom is just time not spent really getting involved in the students' uh, 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 humanity or in their uh, reality in the world, uh, but rather leaving it at that level of um, them doing work with a computer screen. So then to kind of finish up, because, you know, in all of this, I keep wondering to myself, do you have any particular educators or schools or districts or anywhere in particular that you've gravitated towards where you see those practices of empathy really successfully being implemented? Uh, two, two school settings come to mind. The first one, um, before I started uh, my PhD program at Stanford, I was in Chicago um, and a part of a project that I was working on was we worked to help uh, start the uh, Urban Prep Academy on the south side of Chicago. And just then working with them for the few months that I did, and uh, this was before the first year that they started taking in students, um, just then working with them through that time, I could tell that they were working on something different and it was gonna be a, a unique environment there. But then as I followed up thereafter, I still have colleagues who work there. It really seems to be the case that they, they do a really good job of this empathy component. Um, for example, um, every, I don't know if it's every morning, but on a regular basis in the mornings, uh, they have this event. Uh, there's a name for it that I'm blanking on, but it's like an event such that everyone goes to the assembly hall and the the whole point of the event is that you're, you should just go around and shake other people's hands and uh, say hi and ask them how they're doing, ask about their life, what have you. And it's a, a event that happens with both teachers uh, and students as well as administration. But that's like a direct way to create an empathic context, to create a context in which people understand each other and uh, can see the humanity in one another. Uh, and that that's, the fact that that's happening in the morning before the day even starts makes it much more likely um, that the relationships are gonna stay strong um, and that they're gonna be uh, still intact even when conflict arises. And so that setting I think does a really good job. And I'm saying that on the psychological level with the empathy, but they've been in the news a lot. They have 100% matriculation to college um, with an all black student population. And so it seems like in many ways it's working. Um, and then another school setting that comes to mind are uh, KIPP schools in general. And so there's a lot of them. Um, and I know with charter schools, there's, there's hits and there's misses. Um, and it's hard to say that all, across the board, they're all good. But from every uh, contact I've had with KIPP schools, and it's been a few of them, um, each time it's always been a situation in which like they get it. I don't know if it's because of their teacher training I don't know if it's because of the different types of uh, structures that they put in place in their schools, um, but something, it's like when when they're just talking with teachers, they seem to get it very well. 
and they are actively trying to add tools to their toolkit to be more empathic with their children. Um, and so Urban Prep Academy and uh, at least the KIPP schools I've been in touch with uh, both seem like really good school settings uh, that they really embrace the empathic mindset. Visitors, or I'm sorry, listeners, if you want to see those practices in action, both of those places, KIPP and Urban Prep, good places to visit. Um, Jason, do you have anything else that you want to add based on our conversation? Um, there's uh, so two things. One, uh, we are currently in the process of recruiting more schools or districts to participate in this program. Um, and so if anyone is interested, I would highly encourage them to shoot me an email and I'll add you to the list of uh, uh districts that we'll be doing the intervention with this coming year and the year of 2017-2018. My email address is my last name at uh, stanford.edu. So O-K-O-N-O-F-U-A at stanford.edu. And then the second thing is that we, uh, another large component of my research is about implicit bias and how that can affect uh, the teacher-student relationship. And so just briefly, uh, it has been found, and I looked at the uh, national data from the Department of Education, black children are being suspended uh, significantly more than other groups uh, in the order of like six times as likely to be suspended than their peers. Um, and for the first time with research I did with Jennifer Eberhardt uh, and Gregory Walton at Stanford shows that uh, A, the that teachers uh, will in fact, or it's likely that they do discipline black and white children differently for the exact same misbehavior. And so we found that in an experimental design such that sure enough, due to um, a student's race, a teacher just sees a misbehavior as more severe. Uh, uh, if it's by a black child, she feels more hindered by the misbehavior and feels more irritated by the child. And in turn, because of that, wants to discipline the black child more severely for repeated misbehavior than she does for a white child. Um, and so we found that causal relationship, but um, we didn't want to stop there. We also looked at why that might be the case. And it looks like uh, it's what we call a mediation analysis to see the process behind um, a, 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 a causal path. and. What we found is that teachers are more likely to want to label a child a troublemaker if a child is black compared to if a child is white. And that that leads uh, teachers to want to discipline a child more severely for repeated mis misbehavior. Because like with any label, it kind of it uh, communicates that this may be an ongoing thing, that this is like a stable, uh, uh, fixed characteristic. Um, and so teachers were more likely to feel that uh, a student's misbehaviors were indicative of a pattern if it was by a black child compared to if it was by a white child. And so when we talk about teacher-student relationships, it's also important to think about implicit bias and the effects of implicit bias. And so to wrap that back around full circle with this interview, um, that's something that the empathic uh, mindset did. It led teachers to be less likely to label any student a troublemaker. Um, and so it wasn't specifically about uh, black children, Latina children, Native American children, um, South Asian uh, children, but rather it was just about the troublemaker label in and of itself. Um, 
And by reducing that, it's really doing what, uh, uh, what we've been talking about, humanizing the child, uh, making it less likely that a teacher will label the child something, um, perspective taking with the child, uh, such that the uh, uh, child's race does in fact become less of a deciding factor. One is less uh, susceptible to uh, their decisions being influenced by implicit bias. Um, and so that's just the uh, a last thing that, that I wanted to say that it can really help to uh, reduce implicit bias as well. For any of you listening out there, we're going to include uh, the uh, report that Jason put out with Jennifer Eberhardt. It's called Two Strikes, Race and the Disciplining of Young Students. So I highly encourage you to read that and read some of the other research that he's done. Um, you know, thank you so much for being on the show, Jason. I'm hoping that um, listening to this, that people are inspired to seek out better training when it comes to implicit bias and empathy. And uh, again, if you want any information about Jason, we'll include his email address in this podcast and the article as well. Jason, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Huge thanks to Jason Oconifois for connecting and chatting with us. We'll include all of his information on this podcast episode's description if you'd like to get in touch with him. We'd also like to thank the superintendents and administrators who came to our California Superintendent Summit last week. We really enjoyed meeting you and hearing all about the initiatives you're working on. You know, we've spent a lot of this podcast time talking about matters related to K-12, but what about higher ed? Well, for those of you in academia and higher education entrepreneurs out there, you might want to take advantage of our newest newsletter. It's called EdSurge Next. Completely higher ed themed, you'll find stories, tools, and opinion pieces in each Friday's edition of the newsletter. Sign up for it on EdSurge today. Well, that's it for us. I'm Mary Jo Matta. And I'm Blake Montgomery. Thanks for listening. This is the Ed Surge Podcast.